just eight points separate Max Verstappen from title leader Lewis Hamilton, as F1 returns from the summer break with a tricky trio of tracks. Hello and welcome to another F1 Strategy Report recap. My name's Michael Aminato and this is a preview of the 2021 Belgian, Dutch and Italian Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race simulator. Download it now for free on your mobile devices. Let's take a look back at last year's Belgian Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton recorded another controlled victory from pole, and at Spa his Mercedes was in its happy place. Its class-leading motor meant the car could carry more downforce than other cars without sacrificing straight-line speed in an optimal setup compromise. But more perfect than the setup was an early safety car on lap 10 that effectively neutralised strategy. With the hard tyre strong enough to last the distance with moderate pace management, the order was just about set for the rest of the race. Only Pierre Gasly substantively tried something different with a contra strategy, and the Frenchman reaped the rewards with some strong execution. I caught up with Autosport F1 reporter Luke Smith. This, of course, is a racetrack obviously everyone looks forward to. It's a historic circuit, a very uh, pretty-to-look-at circuit. Certainly you get that impression from the TV, one of the few circuits I think you do get a, you know, a nice impression from the television at least anyway. But it is in some senses deceptively difficult because we talk about this being a track that's just very fast and we see a lot of shots of very long straights and slipstream overtaking but getting the balance right for car setup is quite difficult as well, several teams showed yeah it is yeah because you've really got I think straight the balance between do you want to go for a uh, low downforce trimmed out uh, setup that'll do you good for the, the first and third sectors and we saw a team such as Renault I think they did that very very effectively and were hitting some very very high uh, speed trap speeds and sort of getting towards the end the Kemmel straight um, or do you want to sort of put more of your eggs in sex two as, as a basket? Like, do you want to sort of try and go for that higher downforce, really get the car working through the twisty stuff? Uh, that's something Mercedes was able to do very, very effectively, just mainly because just the, the power unit is so good and the car is so strong in a straight line anyway. They can whack on a load of downforce and still be pretty respectable. Um, so they, uh, yeah, they did very, very well uh, sort of hitting that compromise. And uh, it is, that is always a challenge. And I think the other thing that teams were looking at for this weekend was uh, the uh, tyre selection from from Pirelli so we went a, a step softer um, than what we've seen recently to sort of the, the 70th anniversary Grand Prix uh, tyre picks which uh, I'm sure that strategy report was absolutely fantastic because there's been so much to talk about um, and I think it maybe sort of there were hopes that okay if we go back to that kind of tyre selection like could that give a repeat could we see sort of Max Verstappen and Red Bull come into contention once again um, and it just didn't work out that way unfortunately Pierre Gasly the only driver outside the top 10 to start on the hard tyre and end on the medium after a, a long first stint. I mean, this was always really going to be a one-stop race. The tyres are a step softer this year, but you know, already everyone was clearly gravitating towards the harder tyres and track position is so important in Formula 1, so likely to be a one-stop race. Did it surprise you that he was the only one that no one else thought to start on the hard tyre and, and end on the quicker tyre in that management phase for the rest of the top 10? It did, yeah. And I think we were all very surprised to see that because we kind of expected that him him going on that to, I guess, not pass anyone and just sort of sit there and then benefit as people came into pit and him go longer. But it was the complete opposite. I mean, Gasly made a load of really good moves in that opening stint, uh, getting past uh, Sergio Perez, getting past the ailing uh, Charles Leclerc as well, which maybe isn't such a big achievement, but... <laughs> What the hey? I mean, AlphaTauri, the quickest Italian team this weekend, so good on them. And it's, um, it was, yeah, I, I thought it was a absolutely brilliant display from him, like to be able to maximise that hard tie so well and really, really, really run well with it. And I know that teams kind of like looked at 
all three compounds went like none of them were a terrible race tire this weekend as we've seen in previous races so they were they were fairly comfortable about running on all of them but the hard in particular i think that was a big surprise to see gasly start so well on it and run so well on it and uh yeah you've got maybe think like did the safety car like ruin hopes of a, of a top five finish even i'm not sure um it was yeah massively impressive if the belgian grand prix was slow the italian grand prix was anything but delivering a chaotic race and a colourful podium comprising Pierre Gasly, Carlos Sainz and Lance Stroll. Lewis Hamilton started from pole and should have been able to convert, but a rare pit lane closure during a safety car caught him off guard. He stopped and was penalised, blowing the race wide open. A red flag standing restart later in the race effectively formalised the Hamilton-less Grand Prix and produced a thrilling chase to the finish, with Carlos Sainz pursuing Pierre Gasly for 27 laps, only to fall short by just four tenths of a second. I debriefed the action with Motorbox.com F1 journalist Luca Manacorda. What we didn't realise at the time was that the race-winning move was happening near the back of the pack. It was an unusually early pit stop, lap 19 for Pierre Gasly. He was racing with Kimi Räikkönen at the time, out of the points, or just at the bottom of the points, rather, uh, going for the undercut. Lap 19, he made his stop for the hard tyre, but lap 20, the first big moment of this race happened. Uh, It was a safety guard for Kevin Magnussen. It closed the pit lane, which I can't remember the last time I saw happen in Formula 1 for a reason like this, because Magnussen stopped near the entry of the pit lane and they pushed him back towards the Haas garage rather than take him off the track like they would anywhere else, or in any other part of the track, I should say. Interesting, though, that everyone realised, except for two drivers, that the pit lane had been closed, and one of them was Lewis Hamilton. Uh, It ended up costing him... A 10-second stop-go penalty, which is pretty much the biggest penalty you can get uh, in Formula 1 because of that. But this is where all the luck for Pierre Gasly started to turn around because normally if you've just made a pit stop and then the safety car comes out, it's pretty bad luck. But the fact that no one was allowed to stop for a couple of laps actually meant that he went up from 16th or towards the back of the field all the way up into third place behind that safety car. He was on the hard tyre. It seemed like things were really going to pay off for him. Do you think even from there, I mean, potentially he could have won the race from that point, couldn't he? Because that car was pretty quick in a straight line, the Alpha Tauri. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, also without the second, uh, also without the um, red flag, uh, Pierre uh, could have a good chance to, to win the race. So, yeah. The key moment for, for Pierre was the first pit stop, his first pit stop. And it's not the same, for example, for Stroll. For Stroll, the, the key moment was the, the red flag. So, yeah, then, then Alfa Tauri and Gasly um, has been lucky, but has been also clever to do that uh, pit stop. And, be, yeah, been, been lucky for the, for the first um, safety car, but this strategy was not bad because uh, the car was uh, fast on the straight and, and uh, it has a good rhythm. So... A little bit help, but uh, also a lot of uh, <laughs> good uh, good race for for the for the team for the drive from the team from the driver. There was a bit of a shuffling of the order between those who had stopped before the safety car and those who stopped after the pit lane opened. Then we had a, a little bit of a resumption, one lap, and then Ferrari again played an important role. Charles Leclerc had a big crash at the last corner that meant we had to have this red flag to repair the barriers. So Leclerc's crash caused this red flag, which caused a bit of a reset. Really what we had was two races in Monza. The first half, 
Then the red flag and a second half. Two sprint races, no tyre changes really required. But this red flag did allow a couple of things to happen. One was Gasly switched from the hard to the medium tyre, which was faster and just made it to the end of the race. It also meant that Stroll could make that only tyre change he made from those soft tyres to the medium tyres. It essentially did not have to make a pit stop. Stroll was also second at this point behind Lewis Hamilton, and we knew Hamilton had to serve a penalty. So Stroll was effectively the race leader. He said after the race that he felt like a race win got away from him here. We saw that that car was very fast in the straight line with Sergio Perez in the first part of the race. Should Lance Stroll have won this race rather than Pierre Gasly? Yeah, I think that uh, Stroll uh, has a throwaway uh, a victory in Monza. He was in the perfect situation for winning this uh, the race, but uh, maybe for the pressure. Mm. I don't know. He made uh, a bad restart, a bad uh, first lap, and uh, he lost the positions that at the end uh, cost him the victory. But we can say that Gasly and Sainz, mm. they were more um, deserved this victory. Mm-hmm. More than Stroll, so I think at the end it was right that <laughs> uh, Stroll didn't win this race. It meant Gasly passed Stroll, was tucked in behind Hamilton, Hamilton took his penalty, Gasly into the lead. Science, though, had a little bit of ground to make up. He felt unhappy. Of course, he was running second in the first bit of the race and then had dropped to six because of that first safety car. Maybe what undid his race, because obviously it was only half a second at the flag. He almost caught Gasly. Maybe one more lap is all he needed. But something that undid his race potentially was getting stuck behind Kimi Raikkonen in the Alfa Romeo. And this was an interesting choice by Alfa Romeo because Raikkonen started the second half of this race on the soft tyre. meant he got a good start uh, and also meant he was a little bit difficult to pass out of the chicanes. But it was it didn't work for Raikkonen in the long term. He, he stuck down the order. But do you think that maybe had that been a bit different, Sainz could have ultimately won this race had he not been stuck behind Raikkonen because of the tyres? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that Sainz has been very unlucky, first of all, for the safety car. And the second, because um, Alfa Romeo uh, had not more uh, medium tyres, new medium tyres. So their choice to use the soft tyres was... Uh, um, the, the only choice that we have at the point of the race. And this makes us uh, Raikkonen a little bit more faster in the first lap after the, the restart. Uh, and so Sainz uh, lost just that second that at the end was uh, the key for the victory of Gasly because um, Sainz uh, at the end has made the, the overtake on Kimi in, in, in a few laps. So he has been very good in his recovery. But as we saw at the end, uh, it was just a, a matter of a second. With one more lap, I think that Carlos had uh, won the race yesterday. Looking ahead to this weekend's Belgian Grand Prix, this is a real compromise circuit, which is really at the heart of this year's championship. Last year, Mercedes' dominance was down to its engine being powerful enough to compensate for a high downforce package. The middle part of this year's campaign has suggested the Honda Power Unit is doing the same for Red Bull Racing putting the pressure back on Mercedes now to try and find that sweet spot. The tyres are in the middle of the range, which is softer than is traditionally the case, but the same as last year, when a one-stop race was possible, and for some, even comfortable, despite the safety car offset. As a twist, there is a chance of rain all weekend, higher on Friday and moderate on Saturday and Sunday, with the ambient temperature stuck in the mid-teens Celsius. 
The forest setting makes the weather unpredictable here, so accounting for the risk of rain is a must. Next up is Zandvoort, F1's return to the Dutch Grand Prix. Formula 1 hasn't been here since 1985, when the beachside circuit was dramatically different in configuration. Newly remade for its F1 return, Zandvoort presents an interesting challenge. It's high speed, but really with only one straight. Almost all the rest of the track comprises high speed bends, which will make finding the optimal downforce level difficult on this the first time out for the teams. Overtaking in this sort of configuration is predicted to be really difficult, doubly so for the narrowness of this track, and this will push teams towards making the fewest stops possible. That said, banking has been built into the first and last corners to try and ameliorate this problem, boosting the speed down the straight and offering different lines into the first braking zone. That'll also make setup that much trickier for the forces the banking puts through the car and the tyres. Finally, F1 arrives at the Temple of Speed, Monza, for the Italian Grand Prix. It's all about engine power, so we'll get our clearest glimpse yet of the difference between the Mercedes and Honda engines. Both Red Bull Racing drivers are down a power unit after crashes earlier in the year, and given the power sensitivity of this track, the team may be tempted to take new engines and serve the unavoidable grid penalty here. But overtaking around Monza is deceptively difficult. The propensity for DRS trains to form makes passing without a substantial power advantage difficult, as the field tends to follow line astern. The traffic can also make tyre management a real challenge. In the typically warm early autumn, the limited tyre wear means heat can build up in the bulk of the rubber and cause blistering if the early laps aren't managed well, which could force another stop. And with pit stops costly here and the risk of traffic potentially damaging to race time, one stop will be the strong preference. So a tricky high-speed triple header awaits. Who'll start this long run to the finale in December fastest? I'll be back next week to debrief all of the action from Spa. Until then, you can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter for our regular pre-race strategy guides. The Strategy Report is a beer mobile podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Amanato, and I'll catch you next week for a wrap-up of the Belgian Grand Prix.